I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Like, It doesn't matter uh, what you do as far as whether you cry or you weep or shout or dance or run. But when you put thought into your worship, Dad looks at it and says, that's what I like. That's what I'm proud of. You know, a lot of times, that's not even what I'm even speaking about this morning, but I just had it on my heart. A lot of times we come into church and we just have this nonchalant worship like we do it all the time. We just, it's what we're supposed to do. It's the songs playing and we put no thought in it. But if we start worshiping God on purpose and making, literally making a joyful noise unto the Lord, that's the things that touches the heart of God. I can pitch all the Hallmark cards in the trash. I've gotten cards since I was a little kid. But I can tell you this, that every card and every paper that my son makes for me, the sons make for me, I put in a special place. And I go back, I can go back and, re- and it's a great memory for me. And that's the way it is with God. He remembers when we make a joyful noise unto the Lord. He remembers. He goes back into the files. He says, I remember that. That's the date that my child stood in the house of God in August 2014, August 10th, and says, this is when Brother Anthony Krause wept. And there's something about making a joyful noise. If we would start coming into the church and making putting thought into it, saying, I wonder what I could do for God today, making, making. This is just on my heart. Today it's a, it's an honor to, to be in the house of the Lord and uh I uh, I'm extremely, extremely, extremely tired. I did, uh, we had a youth function at our house yesterday. And uh, we have the best youth group in the whole state of Indiana. Yeah. We had a youth function at our house yesterday. We didn't have no any, any problems. Everybody was happy. I think everybody uh, ate well. And uh, played well and and uh, just had a wonderful time. I appreciate everybody that came, all the uh, uh, the adults that came and helped and participated. And, and uh, we just had a wonderful time. And uh, But anyway, that today I'm, I want to talk a little bit about um, raising children. <laughs> I have not yet to raise my children, a complete raise. You know, and I don't think children are all any completely raised. I'm not completely raised yet. <laughs> my, my dad and mom still are parenting me. Uh, there's, uh, every time I go back home to mom and dad's house, dad's always got some good advice for me. Mom's always got something that I need to, to tell me that I need to work on. So, but, uh, I, I, so I can't stand up here and say that I know everything about raising children. My oldest son is 15. My youngest one is 6. And some of you all have grandchildren and great-grandchildren and know a lot more about raising children than I do. But I do, however, know I can speak from the standpoint of being raised. And I know what it took to raise me. I know what it took for my mom and dad to uh, invest in 
their children to keep them in church and uh, to give them uh, a legacy, apostolic legacy, uh, teaching them the gospel, investing, uh, letting them understand Scripture. Not just sending them to church, but taking them to church. Not just teaching them how to pray, but leading them in prayer. I understand how what it takes. Um, are we perfect? No, but uh, I have a sister that's a pastor's wife, is a woman of God. I have a brother that's a powerful preacher of God. I have another sister. Uh, she, <laughs> I always bring that, i got to just shut up, don't I? That still loves God and still fears God and respects God. And so I understand what it takes to, to, to raise a child in the love and admiration of God. We don't need a better government. You know, regardless of the way you feel about our president, you can all be frustrated, because most of us, I'm sure, are, about how things are going in our government and our world. But our problems don't begin and end with a bad government. It, it, our problems do not uh, begin and end with uh, a, a bad president. Bad Congress, senators, governors, regardless how much corruption we got in our... our, You know, the Illinois, I think it's uh, seven or eight of the last 13 governors in Illinois have been in prison. I'm from Illinois. I hate admitting it. But but we're always quick to point our finger at, at leadership in the government. We're always, everybody's always saying if we had a better government, we would, we, the United States would be better off. If we had better uh, uh, police officers that, that do their job and, and uh, quit putting out speed traps, that's all they do is, is they're after our money. We're always, always complaining, always finding, trying to find a fix. We're always saying if the school teachers would do their job, then, then we'd have a better world to live in. But the fact is, everything begins and ends at the home. I know this sounds really silly, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's true. There wouldn't be terrorists if we had good mom and dads. There wouldn't be serial killers if we had good mom and dads. There wouldn't be murderers and rapists and child molesters if we had good mom and dads. It has nothing to do... You, yeah, go ahead. It has nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do with our economy or, or, or the, the, the leadership of our country. We need to stop passing the blame. People need to just stop passing the blame and start accepting the blame on ourselves. We, we want better pastors. We want better preachers. We want better Sunday school teachers. Always, always blaming. But if we would start understanding that everything begins and ends with the home, that God established men and women... Husbands and wives to raise their children, invest in their children. That's He invested in them before He ever did the church. The most important thing in this world that we have is the family unit. If we don't love our children, somebody will. If we don't hug our children, the wrong person will. 
will. If we don't talk to our children, the wrong person will. I'll never forget it. My son Jacob come home. I forget, what was he, about eight years old. He come home and he was telling me how babies were made because he learned it at school because some goofball at school told my son when he was eight years old or whatever how babies were made. That's not their job. To educate my child, I thought in my mind when I was growing up, eight years old, I had no clue about how babies were made. So I figured in my heart that my, I was going to tell him how babies were made and I was going to do it the right way and the biblical way. But I had some knucklehead telling my child about sex. But if you don't talk to your children, the wrong person will. And they will put the wrong things in them. I'll go one step further. I know I'm just supposed to be teaching this morning. But if you don't hug and kiss your children, the wrong person will. If there's anyone in the, in the human family who needs encouragement, it's children. Because parents are usually the people closest to them closest to them the majority of their early life, it is very imperative that parents be the encouragers and the teachers of the children. The Lord has given us the role of an encourager to parents, and by all means, they never should be a source of discouragement to their children. Children are, are, are it's just, there's, it's new to the world. They don't have much experience. They haven't lived like we have lived. They're like aliens uh, to a foreign planet. Children need a constant encouragement from their parents. They face new challenges every day. They they have a feeling, uh, all kinds of feelings of inadequacy. I, I know uh, children today, they face things that we never thought about we would ever face. I'm just going to be very extremely open and transparent this morning. Everybody's adults in here, and every, all you young people are, have understanding. You're going to hear it at school anyway. I never saw two dudes kissing growing up. I never seen two guys walking down the street holding hands. I never seen two chicks holding hands and kissing in public. And you can go to the Bloomington Mall any day of the week and you can see it. And my child has to see it. Now see, when I moved to Bloomington, I moved from Podunk, Illinois, Southern Illinois, a town of 17, 1800 people. And I never seen those things. Now you all from Bloomington have seen all that junk for a while. You lived in Sodom and Gomorrah for a long time, most of you. And you've grown accustomed to it. But when I come here at 19, 20 years old, I was blown away. I was shocked. I, I felt like I'd been living in a cave for a long time. I'd never seen so many piercings in my life. I'd never seen that much hair, different color of hair. Though I've seen Dennis Rodman on TV. But I was shocked when I come here. But the longer I see it, the longer I see it is sad. I've grown, it's grown accustomed to me. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me as much anymore. I see it. It's sick. But I, I, I've learned to ignore it. But our children come into this world and their minds are so young and they're, it's unbelievable. They think it's normal. They think it's right. 
And the more they see it, the more they're going to think it's right. And I, I see it all the time in the apostolic ranks. When I, I, I've heard, I've said it, I've talked to young people from other churches, not from here, but I've talked to young people from other churches, and, I, and I've heard them say, well, they're just people, and they are, and they should be loved. Oh, but we should be friends with them. Uh, yeah, you should love them, but you should not hang out with them all the time. Do you hear me? I'm going to tell you right now. You spent time at my house yesterday and we had a good time, but I'm going to look you right in the face and tell you this. You should love the homosexuals. You should love the lesbians. You should love the, uh, the, the, uh, the people that don't believe in God, the atheists. But you know what? You do not camp your tent around them and hang out with them. You shouldn't make fun of them. You shouldn't... Uh, uh, hate them. You should treat them as good as you can. You should treat them like you would your, your brother. But when you start uh, putting your tent or camping in their area and living amongst them, you're going to be affected by them and you're going to start accepting what they do. I'm just telling you straight up. Straight up. Just going to be honest with you this morning. They need direction. I didn't mean to get on all that. Let me get back here. I'm not trying. Our kids are so affected by what they see anymore. I'll even go further. You better stop watching the junk that you look at because the more you see it, the more your minds are going to be affected by it. The more you're going to accept it. I'm just... I'm not trying to take his place this morning, but I'm just... uh, I, I just feel in the Holy Ghost this morning... That we, we need to be separate in our minds and separate the way we live. And if we allow our children to look at junk and be a part of the junk, you're going to lose them. I said you're going to lose them. They face challenges every day. They're going to see things that they don't understand. And it's our job as parents that have experience. Experience. To be able to make the decisions for them. It, I think it was Pastor said it last week. He, he, said it, he said it well. You do not let your children make the decision whether they want to come to church or not. If you're living under your house, they are under you and you're the boss. I am glad. I am so glad that my father made me go to church. There was times, Brother Horton, that I did not want to go. There was times that I had other things I wanted to do. There was things that I wanted. My father taught me that church is the most important thing in the world. And it didn't matter what happened. I was going to be there. And when we don't allow, when we allow our children to run our life, it's just showing we don't have a backbone. And it really is a lot easier just to let them make their own decisions. In the beginning. But in the end, you're going to have a big fight on your hands.
when that kid is 17 years old, he looks at you in the face and says, I don't care what you say, disrespects your wife, disrespects your husband, disrespects the other siblings in your family. And it's because you didn't have the guts or we didn't have the guts. And I'm preaching this in love this morning. I'm telling you, I feel this in the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost and with love that we need to get a hold of our children and be the boss, the spiritual leaders of our home. I remember it was a while back, and I mean, I've got so much to cover. I remember it was a while back that my, uh, my, Ethan come to me, it was about three or four years ago probably. He come to me, he said, I want to go skating. It's Tuesday night, it's a, it's a church night, or it was a church skating or church theme night or something on Tuesday nights, family night, whatever. He said, I want to go with the next door neighbor down the road. Not, they had a nice family, but he had been in some trouble before, and his son, he was a good boy, come to our house, I think. He spent a lot of time at our home playing, uh, Ethan and his, this boy. And for some reason, it just did not set with me. I said, no. And he got mad, you remember. He got upset at me. He said, uh, I don't understand why he won't let me go. I was like, I, I just don't feel right about it. And uh, he, he, he got upset about it, and we had our, a little argument. And uh, I don't know if I gave him a knuckle sandwich or not, but I made the decision to say no. Well, three or four hours later, the guy and his son was in the store, and he was caught. What happened? What, what was it? Give me the details. He was caught with drugs, and he was arrested, and the boy was taken away, and the, the, the man was taken to jail. My son would have been with him if I wouldn't have made this. If I would have said, son, yeah, you go right ahead. And if I would, it would have been so easy for me to just say, yeah, go ahead and go. But my experiences were... This, can, this is going to turn out, this could turn out bad, and I'm not taking the chance because my child is more important to me than letting him have his way. Children, and let, me, let me get back to they, The most important thing in the world for a child is that they need to feel accepted and loved. And I said it last week, I made a statement. Our job as parents is to make a sanctuary at the home. To make them to feel so much love that when they walk into a world full of chaos, that they crave to go back home. Cut and dry. I could, I could go home right now. That is our job. Is to create an atmosphere that they long to be at. Now, when they're 18, 19 years old and they don't have a job and stuff, I mean, you've got to sometimes just kick the fire out of them and kick them out. Not that you, you don't want them staying that long. You know what I'm saying? I mean, children are great, but you don't want them overstaying their welcome, you know? They're like the guy that comes to your house, is there till. 12 o'clock at night, and you're like, i got to go to bed to get this place up. I'll just let them stay. You know, these guys, 30 years old and still living at mom and dad's house, and all they do is play video games. You know, you've ever seen those guys? That's not what you want, but <laughs> your children need to feel like they belong into that house. Like when they get in trouble... They've got to feel 
like they can come back home and be a part. Children, they're sensitive to the, uh, to the emotions and the acceptance of rejection. Now listen to this. I want you to hear this something. Scientists have, 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 have studied before they are ever able to articulate their thoughts intelligently, they feel these emotions. Before a child is ever able to feel or to, to put their thoughts in, uh, and, and, and make wise decisions, they have the ability to feel whether they're accepted or not. The first feeling that a child will ever feel in his life is whether they are accepted or not. Listen to me. A child may not be wise enough to make a decision who they're going to be friends with. But they have a natural instinct to know whether they are accepted or not. Do you know where I'm going with what I'm saying? Many times they can get around a bunch of idiots. And they are, I'm not saying they're not smart enough. I'm saying that they don't have the ability to make the decision not to hang out with those goofballs. But as long as they feel accepted, they'll go there. That is why that the gang world in the United States has ran so rampant. These children are not wise enough to stay away from those people. But they do feel accepted. And they will do anything in their power to feel accepted. They'll do go through any initiation. We had a guy come through here a while back that got the Holy Ghost. He came here. He, he had a black eye. Uh, he had split. His skull was split. He had a guy, a kid, 17 years old, walk up to him in Bloomington. And the guy punched him in the face, split his skull right here, Knocked his eye, almost knocked his eye out of his head. They had to take him to the ER. You know why? Because it was a kid, a 17-year-old kid, that was trying to feel accepted into a gang. So they had a, play, a game called Knockout. And the kid came out and hit him with a pair of bloody or a, uh, brass knuckles in his face and took off and ran. Why? Because he wasn't wise enough to stay away from the people, but he felt a need to be accepted. And the children will always make wrong decisions by that feeling. They'll always hang out with people that are, that, that are not good for them solely based on the fact that they feel accepted. And if they feel more accepted by the crowd that is in crime, into drugs, into alcohol, more than they feel at home, they will always be drawn to the outside world. They crave it. They crave acceptance. That's really not change with adults. You always find people, friends, that accept you. You'll, you'll always be drawn to it. What's different to kids? We're wise enough to, to make decisions, but they're not. And we wonder why children have turned out. We wonder why the kids at Columbine walk in and just shoot people. 
Why? Because they, they start hanging out with people that they feel accepted. And it's the wrong, it's, 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 it's too late. The wrong people have influenced their lives. We need to be careful who we let influence our children's lives. Can, I, can anybody say amen? Not only do parents need to reassure their children of their acceptance, but they need to reassure them unconditionally. I'll say it again. You need to show your child unconditional love and acceptance. A lot of times, and I'll speak from, from, from knowing and experience, I, it's hard for a lot of times to tell your children, regardless where you go, regardless what you become, regardless how you turn out in life, I'm going to love you. We don't like to say that because we're fearful of the outcome. We're scared to death to because we think that they're going to say, well, if you're going to love me regardless, I'll go out and do whatever I want to do. So we're afraid to show our children unconditional love because we're afraid they're going to make the wrong decisions. And they probably will make some stupid bonehead decisions. i tell you what, I made some dumb decisions and wrong decisions. I don't even want to talk about it because you all laugh. If you knew some of the things that I've done. <laughs> Parents should never suggest to their children that they will love them if they are good One of the biggest mistakes we could ever do to our children is only show them love when they do right. Boy, how big of trouble would we be if God only showed us love? It goes against every bit of Calvary. It goes against every bit of the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection. Why did he say... I died for you when you were yet sinners. I didn't die for you when you had it all together. I didn't die for you when you were perfect. I loved you when you were at your worst. And he said, I loved you unconditional. And not ever having a promise that you would ever love him. Never knowing that you would ever make the decision whether you're going to make, make him your God or... I know he knows everything. He solely based his decision of dying on Calvary's hill just because he loved you when you were a drug addict. When people were murderers, he loved them. He died for them. When people were whatever, he died for them. Think about the prodigal son. Think about what he told his dad. He said, I want what was mine. The tradition was that the son always got the inheritance after the pop was dead. After the dad had died, they had had his funeral, they laid him in the ground. Then and then only did the inheritance come. That prodigal son was literally saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want what's coming to me. I don't care about your feelings. I don't care about how you and mom feel. I want everything that is mine. And the father, he, he sees, he makes the decision. He says, well, he's, 
if I, if I hold him against his will, he'll hate me. And what good is it to have a son here? And I'm holding him. He's at, at the age. Oh, he's not, wasn't a little kid. He's a young man. What good is it to have him home if he's going to hate me and his mother? I've done the best that I can to raise him. I've given him everything. I've given him a home. All the stuff that a father should give to their son, I've given it. So if I hold back, I know I'm going to hurt him in the long run. So I am willing to give him what he asked for in hopes that he'll come to his senses. In hopes he realizes one day that he makes a mistake when he gets wise enough, his brain starts maturing. So he lets him go. What's he do? He leaves. Notice what the dad did. Listen to me. Notice what the dad did for his children. It's kind of hidden. The Bible says that the prodigal son had to travel afar. That father built his home far enough from that pig pen where it was hard for his son to get to that place. So he had to make a journey. And you can guarantee he, he was all happy about it because he had all the inheritance of his father. He was, everything was, it was nice and dandy in his life. He gets to where he was at. He spends everything he's got. And he has nothing left. He finds himself feeding uh, hogs and pigs. You know what the problem with the prodigal son was? He was feeding into something that could not sustain him back. First of all, he was a Jew. He couldn't eat pigs. He was starving to death and he had pigs in front of him. I know what Samuel Tootie would do. Wouldn't you? You'd, you'd eat bacon, wouldn't you? I'd, I'd, I, would make, I would make some really good barbecue baby back ribs. I better not say that stuff because everybody will want to leave and go eat. But here he is. He's feeding hogs and he's starving to death. He spent feeding into something that cannot sustain him back. You better be careful what you feed. If what you feed and what you invest in can't give back to you, it's not worth feeding it. So he, he, he runs out of everything. He's, he's broke. He's, he's, he's better off dead. And the Bible says he comes to his senses. And he says, I would be better off back at dad's house. Now, we've, we've heard all that preached. You've heard all that preached. But how much, have you, how much of this have you heard preached? He had just, not too long ago, said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want, that, I want what's mine. Something in his spirit, Brother Doug, something in his spirit. He wanted to go back home. But what made him make that journey? What told him in his mind and in his heart, you can go back? You don't, this is the part you don't hear preached. His journey back. It was far enough where it was a long journey. But he kept walking because he had got an investment from his dad. 
His dad had spent years on him saying, hey, I love you unconditional. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you can come back home. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you say to me. I don't care that you wished I was dead. I don't care if you spend it all. You can come back home. And not only can you come back home, when you get here, we're going to have a party for you. You can have your own room back. Our children need to feel that kind of love. I'll never forget I'll never forget when I walked away from God. When I was out my worst. When I was in things that I should have went to jail for, prison for. When I should have died. When I should have been buried. You know, I was thinking in my heart, my spirit. Dad's house. Home. Scriptures that dad gave me. Prayer meetings that my dad forced me to go to. Church time that dad made me go to. That's what brought me back. And when you think that you're hurting your children by forcing them to go to church... You're literally building foundations under them. It's painful. You're going to hear the belly aching and the crying and the whimpering. But you focus through it and know that your experiences have said in life, if I don't teach them faithfulness, if I don't teach them, if I don't take them to church, if I don't teach them to worship God, they will fall away. One of the hardest things for a child to feel is unworthiness. We've all felt that. How many of you have felt unworthiness? How many of you have come into the house of the Lord and you just feel unworthiness? Unworthy to lift your hands. The emotion of unworthiness, it's it's hard on a child. Words are not necessary to express to others a feeling of worthiness or to crush their sense of worth. Even a pet, even a dog, such as a family pet, can sense acceptance or rejection. Rejection obviously creates a feeling of unworthiness in people and animals. Emotions express feelings without, uh, uh, without expressing it uh, because they have a language all of their own. When parents fail to extend to their children the encouragement, they need to convince them they are accepted and loved. It uh, it, it, it takes away the feelings of, of acceptance and it, it, it just builds feelings of unworthiness. When they feel unworthy of their parents' love, it is also easy for them to feel unworthy of God's love. When they see us, a lot of times they see God. 
We, as parents, are an extension of God. So the question is, I'm going to ask everybody in here, when our children see us, when our grandchildren see us, do they see God's love? They, they, children need to see it. They need to see the love of a parent. They're going to go out into a world where the world absolutely does not care for them. I know there's good teachers out there in the public schools, but I'm going to tell you, something, those teachers get so many kids that go through there, they just, they, they, they see them, they, 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 and they get so immune to the stuff. I'm not saying that they don't care because I believe a lot of them do. But there's nothing like the love of a mom or dad. Not just a mom, but both. A child needs that in their life. They need to feel belong where they belong. Acceptance and love create a feeling of belonging to children. They may not be old enough to understand or even think of the words acceptance or belonging, but they are old enough to feel the emotions attached to them. They feel it. A child, one of the most important things that a child could ever feel is they need, they need to know that they have a voice. Now, I may make some people mad in here this morning. If I do, I'm saying it out of love. So I'm going to tell you, I don't care if I make you mad. But that mentality of I've heard it, I don't hear it as much anymore. But the older generations, I've heard it. How many have heard the expression, a child should be seen and not heard? I'm not going to put you on the spot. I've heard it when I was a kid. I remember my father, uh, my father never said it. My father didn't believe that way. Uh, as annoying as children can be, and as annoying as the questions that they may ask, and they're going to ask some ignorant questions. Not, I shouldn't say ignorant questions. Questions that to you does not make any kind of sense. Believe me, you all ask those questions to your parents. It make, didn't make a lick of sense. Driving down the road, 80 mile an hour. Dad, who is that? <laughs> but that mentality, that kids should be seen and not heard, that is the dumbest, most ignorant statement that I've ever heard. Anything a child says to them is important. It may not be important to you. What they say and what their questions may be may not make a lick of sense. But in their minds, in their immature minds, if you will, that's the most important questions that they'll ever ask to them at that time in their life. And when you play it off, when you say, well, that's the dumbest question, I've done it, and I'm, I have repenting for it. It makes them feel insignificant. It makes them apprehensive about asking more important questions in the future. If you always dumb down 
your child's questions, as silly as they may be, in the future when they say, Dad, when they want to say, Dad, what about this scripture? They remember. I remember when I asked the question and it was dumb. And I'm probably not going to ask the question. Because what I got to say is not really that important to dad or mom. We, we, we hurt our children when we act like what they've got to say is not important. What children may talk about may not be very interesting to us adults. But children still want them to listen. Uh, and and they, they got to have that. One of the most overlooked jobs of a parent is this. is for us to recognize a child's strengths and his weaknesses. His strengths and his weaknesses. I've come, I, I've come to the conclusion, and, and I can only use my kids for an example. I'm sorry, Ethan's the only one in here for me to pick on. Is... Ethan's, he's very, very intelligent, very smart. And uh, he, he hasn't fooled his dad. If he, if he slacks off whatever in school, he hasn't fooled his dad. It's out of, because he, he just don't want to do it. He's a brilliant kid, absolutely brilliant. He can make A's if he wants. Ethan excels in sports. Incredible. Jacob made A-pluses all year long last year except for the last and. I think he was chasing a girl or something. He ended up making a B plus or something. Could have had straight, I mean straight A pluses. And ends up getting a B plus. I'm, I'm trying to be nice here. But, can I? When Ethan makes a B, we're like, Yeah! Go eat that! I'm making a special dinner tonight. Let's go to Red Lobster. I'll spend 80 bucks. When Jacob makes a B, we're like, we're having TV dinner. <laughs> you know, when Ethan throws an 80 mile an hour fastball, we're like, great. Ethan, Jacob, he does it something great. We're like, oh, their strengths are different. And I always make sure I got to tell my kids, hey, there's going to be things that you're really good at. There's going to be things that you're mediocre at. And then there's going to be things that you're not going to be really good at. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not good at sewing. And if you came to and told me that I was a horrible sewer and I couldn't seam pants and I couldn't, I couldn't fix any, my, my mother-in-law has to do it. If you come and told me that, it's not going to make me mad because I realized my weakness. I don't know a whole lot about my strength. Really, I don't. I know, I do know this. I'm just, I'm just saying we need to learn our children's strengths and weaknesses. And we don't need to dog them in their weaknesses. 
just because Ethan may not be as good as Jacob in some areas, I'm not going to point my finger at him and go, well, he's better at it than you, and you need to do this. And I don't look at Jacob and say, well, you're better, he's better at this than you, and you need to live up. We really tear our children down when we do not recognize their strengths and weaknesses. We need to let, uh, teach them to utilize their strengths and take their weaknesses and learn from them. We harm our children when we dog them down when they're not good at something. Kids are, kids are cruel to one another because we look... Uh, you parents, you can take a break for a second. I'll talk to you kids. We, we, we'll bully a kid. And a lot of times kids get bullied at school because maybe they can't read real good. Or they, they can't throw a baseball real fast. Or they can't run as fast as you can. Or they don't have this like you do. And a lot of kids get bullied because of their weaknesses. And they get targeted. Not everybody's strong in all areas. You're not going to be good at some areas. We used to call kids nerds. We carried pocket protectors here and all kinds of pins there. Now everybody's a nerd. They all got smartphones. Nerds are all sudden cool. We called them nerds at school. But guess what? I called them nerds at school. But they're working. I got friends that are doctors and working for Apple, and they got a million dollars in the bank at 38 years old. And where am I? But we, we, we should not tear down people because of weaknesses. And our children need to know, they, 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 need, they need built up. Anytime your kids do something good, you need to tell them that they are great. And when they do something or they don't or they, 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 they fail at something, you need to use that as a teaching lesson lesson in their life. And I always tell my kids, I say, listen, just because you didn't do it good doesn't mean you can't strive to be better in the future. I have a I have a friend, I'm not gonna mention his name. He is good at everything. The guy can absolutely preach. He could preach any conference. That I'm, he can preach because of times if he wants. He could preach the Mark Conference. He's 32, 33 years old. He can preach any venue. He can play the piano like nobody's business. He, he can play the drums. He's just, he's, he's a, the guy's got a recording studio. He can do that. He was playing music demos for Bill Gaither. Bill Gaither's people come to him and ask him. I don't, you guys know Bill Gaither? He's as professional as he comes in music. He come and ask him to play and offer his semi, uh, CDs and stuff. He's good at all of it. Me, when I was a kid, I was five years old, fell in love with drums. I wanted to play the drums. Loved drums, slept with drumsticks by me. I was the most horrible drummer in the world. Horrible. I, hadn't, I didn't have any natural ability to play the drums. Had no rhythm. My dad, he got frustrated. I bet he lost 10 years off his life going, it's like this, you gookie. I used to sit there on the drums like this. I was a kid. My dad's office was to the side. He'd, keep, I'd, he'd be in there praying or studying music time. And I remember 
Every time, I knew when I got off beat because this door would kick open. Nobody else seen it but me. And I'm like this. And I knew I wasn't right. I practiced six hours yesterday. And it still wasn't right. But he kept encouraging me. And I, I practiced to the point. I, I, I'd practice five, six, seven hours a day. At times, there would be days I'd go and practice for just 10, 12 hours. And I wasn't naturally good at it. But my dad encouraged me. He knew I loved it. He recognized my passion. He could have said, Adam, you need to do something else. Find something else to do. Flip burgers. Do something else. But I was persistent. And with his encouragement... I'm not that great anymore, but I played at a high level when I was 20 years old. I got accepted in the L.A. School of Music, and I could have played for anybody that I wanted to play for. I'm not not anything. I try to not... I I don't admit it to being great at anything. My Uncle Bill was a a world-class guitar player. He played played for all kinds of people. He played for Bob Dylan. He played for uh, he played for uh, Patsy Cline. He played for all kinds of people. Uh, Louis Armstrong recorded with uh, George Jones and all those guys in Nashville. World class artists. And he made the statement. He said, "Adam is the best drummer I've ever played with in my life." That's when I was younger. But it took it took my father. Encourage me. See and recognize it. He, he didn't think I had it. He didn't think I was good. But he didn't have the heart to say, you're, you're not that great. He'd say, this is what you need to do. And it was constructive criticism. And there is a difference between criticism and constructive criticism. When you're giving somebody criticism, you're tearing them down. But when you're giving them constructive criticism... Hence the word construction, constructive. You're building them. You're tearing down what needs to be torn down and getting rid of the stuff. Saying, this is what you need to do different. You've done this wrong. This is what you need to do right. You need to, that's one of the biggest lessons that all of us need a lesson in. Is Instead of criticizing people, you need to constructive criticize people. And it's all in, how the, in the attitude and what you can do. Children are torn down because their parents have criticized them and not give them constructive criticism. That's the best thing I've said all morning. That is the most important thing that you can know here today. One of the, one of the things, and this is, this is a thing that as parents we need to do, uh, uh, that, that is, it's one of the most difficult things in the world to do. Brother Robertson touched on it last week. Is allowing the child to make some decisions on their own. Children need to make some decisions on their own. In other words, I'm trying to figure out how to say this right. We need to be smart enough and wise enough as parents to say, okay, whatever outcome this child or whatever decision this, this child makes, it's not going to make or break them. 
But it will teach them a lesson. So I'm going to go ahead and make this decision or let them make this decision for them. There's a book out called, I think, uh, uh, 50, 50 Dangerous Things You Should... I think it's 50 Dangerous Things You Should Teach Your Children. Or let your children do. 50 Dangerous Things. And one of the examples in it is, what's the first thing an 8 or 9 year old kid wants to do when he gets around a fire, a bonfire? He wants to put the stick in it, poke around in it, flip the coals around. What's the first thing the parent wants to do? Don't touch it. Trust me, it's hot. Trust me, you don't want to experience that. Now, this book, the, 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 the thought process of this book is, what's the worst that could happen? That little dude or dudette is going to get a hot coal on their toe. And it's going to burn them and they'll not forget it. And you can guarantee that hot coal is going to keep them in the future from going and lighting matches and throwing it at a can of gasoline. Don't ever do that. I know about that. <laughs> Trust me. It blows up. Listen, you'll lose your eyebrows. <laughs> Boys, your facial hair will not grow in right. Splotches. Your hands will ha- not have hair on it. People will think you shaved your arms. I'm I'm teaching you from experience. (laughs) Don't ever make homemade bombs and put them in mailboxes. Because apparently it's a federal offense. Don't ever put a homemade bomb in a teacher's trash can. Because apparently the schools think that that's a crime. But they learn from it. You learn. You, you analyze as a parent. You, you figure out what is going to hurt them and let them make their own decisions. And then let them make their own mistakes. Because you don't, you don't learn. A child won't learn. An adult won't learn from making right decisions. You learn from your mistakes. You learn from saying, hey, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to burn myself again with that coal. I'm not going to play with matches in the future. So we got we to gotta let our children, we can't protect our children to the point where they're so, uh, they're so curious that they go out and they have to try everything. I, I, well, growing up, I grew up uh, in, in an apostolic home. I went to a, a Christian school. AC, you know, the paces and all that. Do you all still, do you all have those paces and stuff? I, I remember growing up, and everybody went to the Christian school. There was about uh, 100, anywhere from 80 to 100 kids, depending on what year it was. And I remember I went to school with a lot of kids 
that were so protected. Their moms, don't do this, can't do this, can't see this, can't watch this, don't go there, don't look at that. You can't go skating, you can't go bowling. Why? Because you'll break your ankle. You can't, you can't go bowling because you'll throw your hand out of joint. Can't do this. When those kids got a little bit of freedom, I can, I'm telling you, the ki- I bet I went to school with the 400 different people. 400 different kids. And I bet you I, I could count on maybe two hands, maybe not even that, one hand, that, that those kids are in church. Because mom and dad protected them from everything. They didn't let them go there. And all of a sudden, they got a little bit of freedom. Those kids went hog wild. They're drug addicts, they're alcoholics, broken homes, four or five different marriages. And it's because mom and dad said, oh, I don't I want to protect them. I don't want them to experience this. I don't want them to experience heartache. I don't want them to experience... If every time my son came home and said, Dad, there's a bully at school, he wa- he, and he wants to beat my face in, I could go to school. What am I going to do? Get in the ring with a 12-year-old? Come on, man. I'll bust you. I, I'm not... Some of, you, some of us parents, every time our kid gets picked on or something, we're like, oh, don't do... Man, I take my kid out to the garage. I don't, I don't condone it, but I say, here's the deal. You're not a doormat. Here's how to throw a punch. Put these gloves on and knock them around a little bit and make them a little tough. When they go to school, they're not going to get their head busted. They may get their head... Oh, you... No, I don't condone the fight. I don't condone... I don't, con, I don't want my kids fighting. You let your kid go to school and get picked on and slapped around. My son went to school and he tried to step over a kid's leg, get to his desk, and the kid shoved a number two pencil through his jeans and broke the pencil in it. That was four years ago and the pencil was still in his leg. What did I do? My son came home. He said, Dad, I wish I'd have busted his head. He said, can I go back tomorrow and bust his head? I said, no, that'd be revenge. I said, you should have punched his lights out the second he put the pencil in your leg. If you get mad at that, it's okay. But I'm not going to let my kid be a doormat. If my kid is picked on because he follows Jesus, that's one thing. He's going to turn the other cheek because the Bible says turn the other cheek for my namesake. But if my kid goes at school and he get picked on because he's got, he doesn't have the real right kind of shoes on or the right kind of pants on, he gets kicked in the face. I'm not going to let my kids get picked on like that. I'm going to let my kid, I'll let my kid, but I'm not going to go to school and run to school every time, every time some teacher says something to my kid and, and, those kids know if you are a good parent and you do your job, you love your kids. If a teacher looks at your kid and says, you're ignorant, they sh- I want you to hear me. If the- I-, I was done that way, and it hurt. I was sitting in math class, and my teacher looked at me and said, you'll never amount to anything in your life. He also is the same one that looked at me and said, you can't pray over your cookies and Kool-Aid. And I said, watch me. And right there I prayed in front of him. He didn't like me. So he looked at me and he told me I wasn't good at math. And I, I, I didn't make good grades. So he looked at me and said, you'll never amount to anything. You're ignorant. 
Did it hurt me? Yeah. But you know what? I didn't believe it. Because my mom and dad told me that I wasn't ignorant. And I didn't believe anything anybody else told me. Because my father and my mother built so much inside of me that I knew inside. Yeah, it hurt. It was hard. I'm not suggesting that if your teacher calls your kid an idiot and ignorant. I think that they need a talking to. But your kid should have enough confidence inside them because you've loved them enough and you have built them up enough that they could hold their head up and stick their chest out and say, you know what, I'm something in God. God loves me, my mom loves me, my dad loves me, my church loves me, and that's what we need to raise our children. We need to, we need to give them so much love. One more thing. Abraham Lincoln, he said this. He said, it is my pleasure that my children are free and happy and unrestrained by parental tyranny. He said, because love is the chain whereby to bind a, bind a child to its parents and nothing can break it. Nothing can break it. Spirit of perversion, nothing can break it. Bulliness, bullying, nothing can break it. We as parents have a huge, it's a huge responsibility, a great job. We've got a lot of, we've, we've got great parents in this church. And I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for men and women that stand up and have backbone. When there's a world that doesn't have a backbone, we follow God and we teach our children. You ought to give yourself a hand clap. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. I'm done, but I'm not done. I've got so much more. Let me give you one more statement. I I looked up these this morning. Louise Hart said, she said, Our children give us the opportunity to become the parents we always wished we had. There's not, in this room, there's not the poster child, if you will, of perfect parents. There's not a perfect parent in this room. We've all made mistakes. And none of us have perfect parents. But what we should do as parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, is say, what was I missing was I, when I grew up? What did I do without that I know would have made me happy? What could have dad or my mom, good folks, great parents, what did they not give me that I craved? There's your answer to being a better parent. Because it goes right back to the Scripture, doing to others as you would have them to do unto you. Whatever you have missed, whatever you wished, if you, I'm just going to tell you all, if you wish to God that my, your dad or your mom would have hugged you more and loved on you more and gave you kisses more, then that's what you need to do. If you wished that your mom or your dad would have said, I love you more, that's what you need to do for your children. I remember, I'll go home. I said it last week. I'm almost 40 years old. My dad's 61 years old. I can go home 
And as soon as I walk through the door, my dad grabs me, gets me in a headlock, kisses me, he calls me Fatty Addy. It's embarrassing. Fatty Addy. You know why he calls me that? Because when I was a kid, I wore husky jeans. And I was chunky. And he called me Fatty Addy. Imagine that. Adam, Adam Hill was chunky. He still calls me that. It's embarrassing, yeah. But it feels good to be able to go back to Dad's house and still feel loved. I'll never forget it. It's made me who I am. It's, and, and so... I'm thankful for godly parents. I'm thankful for a godly church. I'm thankful for men and women that stand up and be the parents that they're supposed to be. Lord, we bless you. We give you honor this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to be better parents, better grandparents. God, I'm asking you that you would touch each and every person in this place. God, I pray. God, I know that if we would have better churches if we had better parents. God, we would have better governments if we had better parents. God, we're asking you right now to lead God, and us, lead God and direct us into all truth. Give us the strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. I tell you what, let's have prayer meeting this tonight. I know the men's been having prayer meeting downstairs. But let's have a prayer meeting upstairs. How about that? Let's have a good prayer meeting upstairs at 5, five is it? Yeah, 530.